I'm just a little concerned that if you focus too much on do no harm, there might be some risk-benefit decisions that don't get made the right way. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast. Now, here's your host, Scott Orr. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service just like you from coast to coast. When you're on a medical call, does the prime directive ever enter your mind? No, not that one. This one. First, do no harm. My guest today wonders if that's the best we can do. In fact, he has some other ideas for our prime directive that might improve treatment. Mike Rubin is a paramedic in Nashville, Tennessee. He's also a former faculty member at Stony Brook University. Mike has logged 24 years in EMS, but first he spent 18 years in the corporate world as an engineer, manager, and consultant. And Mike Rubin joins me now to talk about a new prime directive. Welcome to Code 3, Mike. Thanks, Scott. So what's wrong with do no harm? It's maybe not the first thing that we should be thinking about in EMS. I, I'm just a little concerned that if you focus too much on do no harm, there might be some risk-benefit decisions that don't get made the right way when we're treating patients. And, of course, none of this is, is uh, uh, one of the most important issues going on in EMS. This is just something that we talk about as a, as a topic for discussion because it helps pass the time and, and provokes thought and lets us consider, you know, what it is we really do, why are we out in the field, what our priorities were. I always thought that EMS is about a balance that involves a certain amount of risk and a certain amount of concern for the patient. And when we say to ourselves, well, first, we're going to make sure we do no harm, I think we're kind of uh, setting the standards a little too high. We, we can't help but do some at least minor harm to patients in some cases as part of our, our care. And I, I wouldn't want to see people who are coming into the field fail to consider that sometimes it's necessary that there be a, a little bit of hurt in order for there to be a lot more good. So do you find that paramedics really consider the prime directive while they're working in the field, or is it purely academic? I don't think most paramedics uh, consider it on a day-to-day -day basis in the field, and and so that that's why I I don't think this is a super critical issue. Uh, it's it's I guess sort of a matter of of entertainment. Um, it's just something that kind of gets um, put in our heads during primary training, and my thought was that if we're going to do that, if we're going to have one 
principle that we're going to try to get people uh, to understand at the very beginning, maybe first do no harm isn't the best choice. It's not that it's a major problem, but I tend to think that, you know, the one principle that I'd want to put in everybody's head when they're starting EMS, if I had the choice, would just be to uh, treat people like you want to be treated. And and certainly that's that's not a principle that I invented. That's the golden rule that I think a lot of us try to live by no matter what we're doing for a living. But I think that that also works um, very well and covers pretty much all the bases uh, when you're in EMS. And speaking of the golden rule, let's talk about some of those alternatives that you've offered. And the first one is as if I were the patient, which, as I said, is sort of the golden rule. But how would this affect things in the field? Well, I I can't think of a better way than the golden rule or as if I were the patient uh, to manage most of what we do. You know, if we're thinking about how we as patients would respond to things that are be that are being done to us and we equate that to what we're doing to other patients, that kind of is enough of a check and balance in itself. I I don't think any of us are are good enough to do that 100% of the time. I I know I didn't always think about that when I was treating patients, but there were a lot of times after the fact when I think to myself, well, you know, I I didn't say this to the patient, or I didn't explain what I was doing, or maybe I was too quick to go ahead and start treating without uh, letting him or her know what was going on. I could have done that better. So I think that it covers a lot of bases, and it really would be my first choice as a fundamental principle to carry with us you know, as we're working in the field. But no, I, I don't think it's the kind of thing that, that people routinely think of um, when we're, we're treating. It's kind of more for reflection after the fact. And we'll take a little sidetrack here because I've heard that there is at least a movement, if not a growing movement, among ER docs and a few others like them to have tattooed somewhere on their body, do not defibrillate, do not shock because they've seen the results afterwards. I'm curious where you stand on that. If you ran into somebody like that, is that a tattoo like that? Is that the equivalent of a DNR, or is that just something that you could decide to bypass for the moment? I don't know that it's the legal equivalent of a DNR. I just, I, I guess we'd have to go to a lawyer about that. Certainly, though, if I saw that on a patient, and I, I don't think I ever have, um, it would cause me to pause if this were a patient where, uh, you know, their demise was was uh, likely and think about what I was going to do next. Obviously, if the paperwork is there to make things legal um, as, as defined in whatever system I'm working in, then I haven't got a problem. But if this uh, tattoo on the patient is some middle ground between an official legal document and nothing at all, I think that that's um, the kind of decision that... Uh, you know, paramedics and EMTs really can't make by themselves. I think that's the time when you call into your headquarters, into your medical control, and and get some help in uh, in making that decision. That's what they're there for. I spent a lot of time working in medical control uh, in uh, Suffolk County in New York, and you know, one of the the purposes of that body is to provide that kind of assistance, you know, to make decisions where you have uh, things that you might want to do and that uh, seem like the humane thing to do, 
but um, you really need to consider the legal aspects too. All right. The next one is my patient myself, which is kind of interesting because you say that you believe patients should come first, which is what we would assume. But I know that you think that people should be, let's say, tactical about self-preservation. So my patient, myself, what exactly do you mean there? I'm just saying that I think that's the uh, order of importance um, that I felt when I was in the field that my patient came first. And I know that's controversial. I mean, if you're on any of the um, EMS websites or bulletin boards, there's, there's always a lot of chatter about um, protecting oneself as an EMS provider, you know, being safe, uh, going home at the end of the tour. I mean, those things are all important, but I don't know how you can get into um, an essential service like EMS without having a special kind of regard for your patient. And, I, and, and there are times when you do opt to take certain risks that uh, put the patient first. It's not the way we're taught. Uh, it's, it's not in the protocols. But I think if you're kind of the kind of person that takes um, the unselfishness that you really need to apply in EMS seriously, that sometimes uh, it's, it's really important to, um, to put the patient first and to just be willing to take some amount of risk. Now, I will play devil's advocate here and point out that among firefighters, there's generally been a feeling in terms of rescuing someone that if I take a big enough risk that I'm going to be hurt and I am hurt, I can't save anyone. So I'm curious if that isn't the same attitude that we should take with EMS. Yeah, that's that's all valid. Um, I guess the way I look at it is while I'm considering that, I also have to think about how I'm going to live with whatever I choose to do, whatever decision I make about taking care of that patient, whatever decision I make about protecting myself, you know, about either taking risks or not taking risks. I have to live with that. And I've, I've been in this situation and I've, I've, you know, it's, it's hard to generalize over every kind of case that you can come upon, but let's just say that there were times when putting yourself at risk and, and maybe ending up in a bad way isn't the worst thing that can happen to you, in my opinion. But when you have to live with something that bothers you uh, theoretically for the rest of your life, you know, that's that must be pretty bad. And one of my priorities during my career in EMS was to try never to get into that situation where I would carry regret or um, be second-guessing myself for the rest of my life because of something that I did or didn't do. Fair enough. I'll be back with more right after this. Every day, you put your life on the line to protect our families, friends, communities, cities, and our nation. Federal Resources knows the dangers you encounter daily. Whether it's fire, hazmat, or the more recent opioid threats, we're here to support you, protect you, and help train you for your next mission. You're looking out for everyone else. Let us look out for you. Federalresources.com. All right, the next one is be ready to be needed. And I believe what you're referring to here is people who 
belief in that slogan, it's not my emergency, it's yours. Yes, that's right. You know, that's just that's just one of those sayings that for one reason or another really bugs me. I've heard it so many times. It's It's gotten popular, like, you know, BLS before ALS. These things all have their own life cycles. I think that you can't help but adopt at least some of the patient's emergency as your own when you respond to it. You know, I, I can recall in many critical cases feeling that there was a life on the line and it wasn't something where I could just take as casual a point of view as as that saying about it's not my emergency would seem to indicate. When When you get to the scene, I think you're expected to treat it as your emergency. Now, that doesn't mean that you're at the same risk as the patient is, and it doesn't mean that you're thinking about it exactly the same way that the patient is, but I think you owe it to the patient and the patient's family to take that emergency seriously, and therefore, yeah, it's 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 partly your emergency too. You've also suggested one that I'm a little hesitant about, which is patients mean business. I understand where you're coming from here, but I know that we don't normally consider the business element of it. For instance, we'll call a helicopter for someone without thinking about what they have to pay for it. But I'm curious how you think this would change things. I, I think it's it's okay, among other things, to think of EMS as, as a business. That is to say that if your agency isn't solvent, you're not going to be there to help take care of people, and so it's okay to consider costs and revenue as as part of the equation in EMS. I think that if you carry that just a step further and you think of patients as customers that you're providing a service for, and you think about the way other businesses treat customers, uh, there, there are certain ways that you you want to avoid upsetting those customers. It, it doesn't necessarily mean that the customer is always right, but you should at least be thinking, I'm not going to unnecessarily upset that person. Some of the some of the feedback that some of us in the field may feel obliged to give patients in the middle of of calls, for example, you know, hey, you shouldn't have called the ambulance. This is something where you could have gone to the hospital uh, by taxi or not gone to the hospital at all. Those are things that I, I think go against the notion of a, a paying customer. The, the person has called you, you, you have a duty to respond, they want to go to the hospital, that's what you're expected to do. You know, maybe that's not the best system, maybe that system needs to be tuned up, but that's the way it is right now. You've got, you know, you've got a customer and you're expected to provide a service for that customer. And finally, my favorite, do the best you can, which is very simple, but if you think about it, it definitely fits because we're out there to do the best we can. I mean, do the best you can certainly has merit. Uh, The one thing that I put in there that I still believe is we have to guard against losing results-oriented accountability where simply doing the best you can is, is good enough and we're going to be less interested in what you've accomplished and how hard you try to accomplish those things. I don't think we want to go to that extreme. And I do see a certain tendency towards that in society where, you know, the difference between uh, succeeding and failing or winning and losing is getting a little blurred 
in order to try and accommodate as many people as possible. So that's, you know, that's the only danger of that. But in general, um, you know, doing the best you can, just taking it face value is, is a good thing. If someone put you in charge and said, come up with our new slogan for EMS, which one of these do you like the best? Uh, yeah, I'd have to, I, I mean, I, I don't know if I'd, I don't know if I'd necessarily make it the slogan for EMS. I don't know if EMS needs a slogan, but I think the concept behind what we do that I like best is the first one, um, as if I were the patient. And, and again, that goes back to the golden rule. I, I certainly didn't originate that. I just like the idea of having enough empathy for our patients to think about how we're treating them versus the way we would want to be treated if we were in that same situation. All right, you've given us plenty to think about, Mike Rubin. Thanks for talking with Code 3 today. You're welcome, Scott. And we put some more information on the Medical Prime Directive on our website at code3podcast.com slash do no harm. All one word, do no harm. Check it out. Now look out, here comes your trivia question. Who invented the modern portable fire extinguisher? I'll have the answer right after this. Now's your chance to get your hands on Code 3 t-shirts, sweatshirts, and more. Show your support for the podcast that supports firefighters from coast to coast. Just go to Code3Podcast.com and click on the Code 3 store link. Or go to Code3Podcast.com slash shop and tell the world that you're a Code 3 fan. And now the trivia answer. The portable fire extinguisher was invented by Captain George William Manby in 1819. It consisted of a copper vessel of three gallons of pearl ash solution, that's potassium carbonate, under compressed air pressure. Remember, the more you know. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, I'll see you later. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To get in contact with us, visit Code3Podcast.com. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you should. Don't miss an episode. Find us at the Apple iTunes Store, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.